Good morning, CLC. Uh, good morning, everybody uh, following us at home. Um, it's good to be here. Um, and Linda, thanks for the announcements. I would really encourage everybody uh, uh, for a 100th year that you would really right now get on your phone, your calendar app, and, and make it a priority. Um, uh, I think it's going to be a special time in the life of the church. Um, also, the new, the new gate code outside is really important, right? Because it's going to make you, if, it's going to make you reconsider your relationship with God. Because if you come back from lunch and your car is stuck in the parking lot, it's, you are going to, you're going to need a mediator. You're going to need someone. Right to come and get you out of there like nothing before, and I thought, wow, um, you're going to we're going to learn theology in this. But uh, yes, it's uh, it's fun. Well, today we're going to be finishing our series in Titus um, and uh, reviewing it. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about the book of Titus is because it mirrors so many of the issues we are facing now within um, our culture. Uh, following Jesus in our American culture and to look at scripture and say, wow, they faced many of the same things. And we see what the descriptive and prescriptive nature of Paul's words were. Um, and today we're going to be talking about um, our culture and how do we follow Jesus within the culture. Paul comes back to revisit this idea because the uh, culture in Crete was so uh, destructive. Right? And it reminds me of a story of um, a family that I got to know many years ago who were missionaries, Jack and Corky Hook. And they had given their lives to go uh, to one of the remotest places on earth to be missionaries into the jungles of Erie and Jaya. And uh, they settled on a tribe. And for years, they ministered to them, and God brought fruit, and the church grew, and it started transforming people's lives. And they told me a story. They said, in the life of the church, they said they realized one day that people would come to faith, and they would start to grow, and then they would just kind of stop. Things would just sort of plateau. And so after a number of years of seeing this, they called the church elders together and they said, this is what we're seeing. We're really excited what God is doing. But it seems like we just get to a point and that's it. The elders all looked at each other in a very different way. And they said, we know what this is. We need to meet with the people. So they called a meeting and they said to, the, to, to Jack, they go, you can't come to this meeting. This is just us. It was their, it was their culture. It was their tribe. It was their village. And he said, when they got into the room, the elders had to confront the issue that was holding them back. And the issue was this. In this tribe, when a child was born, they would whisper a word into that child's ear. And that was their secret word. And that word could get them out of trouble, out of the peril. If anything was happening, when life or death came out, one time within your life, you could shout out your secret word, and that word would save you. 
And the elders said, we've talked about Jesus. We have this relationship with God. But we're still holding on to our secret word to save us. And as we go through and we talk about our culture, about Crete's culture today, and let me do just an overview of the book of Titus. We want to go in probably the most difficult part of our faith. It's always the thing we struggle with is where does our faith and our own, our own values, our cultural values, our selfish values, how do those intermix and how do we fight through that? Right? How do we get clarity on that? So that we're, we're, we're always drawing near to God and not just reinforcing our own desires, our own cultural right, direction. Crete had this. Remember at the beginning of the book, let me just kind of uh, go over. Beginning of the book, we talked about how, uh, how the Cretans were used, what their traditions were. And how the church started, how many people from Crete were at Pentecost and they came back with great joy of meeting Jesus in this incredibly explosive and and powerful way. And in the first chapter, when Pastor Ben spoke, Paul says to Titus, you need to continue this work of putting elders in place because the elders and the people leading the church, it was not working. They were not, le- and, and as, and as uh, Pastor Ben went through the descriptions, they were not people that were godly. We need to put godly elders in. They needed godly leadership. And then uh, Caitlin spoke about the ramifications of what happens when you don't have godly leadership in place that Paul calls out. This is why the church is this way. This is why this is happening, because these leaders are leading it down these paths, right, away. Last week, Pastor Calvin talked about how then Paul went through each group, older men, younger women, older, you know, women, younger men. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to act godly. And what was happening is where they were not acting godly. So here's a Christian church. These, these little churches, and they, it was a free-for-all. And when you read between the lines, and we'll do some of that today, you started to see, wow, this was really a messy place. Yeah, we love Jesus, but they were kind of doing whatever they wanted to do, which was the reputation of Crete. And so in this last chapter, Paul kind of summarizes the book, and we're going to see that these issues that he's hitting are, are the same issues that we face in our culture. And what he does is Paul pulls back and he deputizes Titus to take action for the entire church. So as Pastor Calvin talked about last week of saying, look, he calls out individual groups. Now, in the last chapter, Paul comes back and speaks to the kind of whole church, uh, to the church as a whole. So the first point that we see in the beginning in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, is the church in Crete was operating under the rules of a corrupt culture rather than the kingdom of God. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 3 say this. Paul speaking to Titus, he says, Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, 
to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle towards everyone. So, why would Paul say this? Because the people were not being subject to rulers. They were not obedient. They were slandering everybody, and they were not doing good. Paul goes, you have to like, remind them to do this. And then he goes on to say this. You think, Titus, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So here's Paul's description. Hey, how was these small churches? They're like, they, uh, they, uh, they, they lived with malice and envy. They were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. So you have to remember, Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's a Pharisee, not just a good Pharisee. He's a Pharisee from Jerusalem, right? He's an Ivy League, you know, Pharisee. And so when he sees Crete's attitude towards morals, towards lying, towards talking about his people, he's just like, what is this? Right? So he deputizes Titus. And see, what had happened is this. It's the culture of Crete was, more, was shaping the church more than, than the kingdom of God was. What was acceptable in culture became acceptable in the church. The rules of the culture became the rules in their church. And so they could melt down in their church like real housewives, and everybody went, yeah, it's just kind of what we do. And Paul was saying, no, it's not what we do. Again, one of the main struggles we have as believers and the thing that we're always pushing with is not just personal holiness, but, um, but always looking to see, God, what are you calling us to do? Our culture is the water we swim in. And so we always have to be asking ourselves as a church, is this who God has called us to be? How do we ask that deeper question? This is always the work of the church, that we do not become comfortable, and the rules of our culture become the rules of our church. When I was in college, I was on a team that went down into the um, kind of southern middle part of Mexico to work with some of the missionaries who had been there for years. And we were fortunate, because the missionary we showed up with, was uh, to, to work with, was one of the kind of... Uh, head missionaries for uh, this, um, this missions organization. Uh, he was a PhD. And when we got there, he gave us this introduction. He says, you have to understand when the gospel came to this part of the world, they were still within many of their beliefs from sort of the ancient Mayan beliefs. And he goes, let me just point this out. It had, it had still kind of over generations um, kind of, you know, kind of stayed and hung in. And he said, in the Mayan beliefs where they had a God of war, you know, that's what was the sun God. And he says, and they had a God of peace and love. That was their moon God. And he said, when the, when the, um, when the sun God was right in the temple, it was right. People were sacrificed. It's all the stories, but he went into great detail of how that worked. 
and how it would stay. So he says when the first, when they first introduced Jesus to this area, he says instead of confronting it, he goes, they just synchronized their faith. And so Jesus became the sun god. And he says, and then Mary became the moon god. So instead of, instead of going into the, the deeper uh, love of who God is, we'll just replace these, right? We'll just, we'll just synchronize the faith. We'll just enmesh them so, um, so that you will understand instead of calling them out of that. And then we would walk into all of these different shrines and these different uh, cathedrals and these different places. And all of a sudden, we, you start to see these pictures. They'd have a picture of Jesus, and there would be a sun behind him. Or a picture of Mary holding Jesus, and there would be a moon. Like in this picture. All of a sudden, it just came to life. Almost everywhere you went in this region of the country, that's all you would see. And you, were, and you thought, wow, I can't believe they did that. And at the same time, we have to ask ourselves the questions. So... What, what am I synchronizing in my faith from my family traditions to the things in our culture that we prize? Uh, a reporter, a number of just a, a decade ago, was reading an article, and he went to eight large mega churches in America. And he named them. He went to this one in Arizona, this one in, you know, in Ohio, this one in Texas. And he did kind of the full you know, ethnography report. And he said, he walked into these churches and he said, it was comfortable. People were relaxed. I got offered, uh, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts and Starbucks coffee. And it was, you know, the talks were inspiring. And I was, oh, and at the, and at the end of the article, he said, it, it was very simple. He said, his summation of his of these large churches, he said, it's the church and American culture have merged together, and American culture has won. And I was, whoa. In the Crete, in the church in Crete, they had brought all of their traditions, and it was destroying this small new church. It's with us, it's easy for our cultural values to keep us from experiencing Jesus. What are the things that you prize, the values that we hold from your family, from your upbringing, from our region? Being in the Bay Area, we have, right? And from living here in America? Is it time as a commodity? Is it education? Is it your career, financial stability, your comfort? Those things that you would say that, yes, I love Jesus, but am I willing to place this down? My friends who are missionaries... Uh, Jack and Corky said, when the elders called the people into the room to discuss the secret word, he says, all of a sudden, 
we heard screams. And they were very alarmed because they had not heard this before. And what people started doing is realizing they were still holding on in that tribe to their secret word. And in order to follow Jesus fully and to continue to have intimacy and growth with him, they had to give up their secret word. So what was unimaginable in this culture was people started coming up one by one, shouting out their secret word, which in their tradition meant it was, it was over. They could not use that again. And they said it happened for the next day or two of people coming and confessing that they were no longer going to be holding on to that as their security blanket. What are your silent idols? What are the areas in your life, again, comfort, career, financial, stability, what, whatever those things are as a student, what are those things that you look at and say, yes, that's my secret word. If I get that, then everything else in life falls into place. Right. Um, one of the things God calls us to do is to repent. And sometimes we think of repent as feeling sorry, but sometimes this might make sense to you. If you find your faith and your relationship with God is dull, like I just, it's not there, I don't have energy towards it, Many times, let me just paint this picture. Many times it's because when we follow these silent idols in our life, because in culture it's tacit, it's underneath the surface, um, it's, it's almost like we're following them and we're saying, God, we're engaging God. God, come, come, can you help me with this? Can you come help me get my child into this university? Can you help with this new career thing? I know I'm really busy, but man, if I got to this, then I'd get this raise and everything, whatever it would be, right? And And Jesus says, I love you, and I care about your life, but I'm working over here. Stop and follow me. That's what repentance is. Repentance is to say, oh, I've got to place these things down, and I have to, I turn and I follow. When Isaiah saw the Lord in in, uh, uh, chapter 6, his first reaction, Isaiah's first reaction, it was to say, woe is me, for why? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, when he saw God, all of a sudden he realized how much of his own people and culture, how much they were turned away from who God was. This is as true over the top with the church in Crete, but it's also true of us. And the beautiful thing is, and the encouragement is this, is that God's, God does not give up on us. He does not disregard us. He doesn't shame us into those things. His call is to you and I deeper and deeper into saying, place down the silent idols of our culture. The second point was not only that Crete was operating under the influence of a corrupt, um, of, um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, is, <laughs> sorry. that uh, Crete was o- operating under the um, 
the, the rules of a corrupt culture, but they were also under the rules of a corrupt religious tradition. So this is what chapter 3 comes on. So Paul then narrows it down with Titus and says this, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, Titus. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. See, what had happened was not only had culture influenced the, the church, but religious tradition had. Now, remember... When this church, almost everybody in this new church were, had a Jewish background. And so you can imagine they come to faith at Crete, but they go back and continue to practice many of the Jewish traditions. And this was very true of all the early church. In fact, one of the big controversies, if you have a chance, to, is in Acts chapter 15, Paul comes back to Jerusalem and says, Gentiles are coming to faith. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> like that was big news. That was, that was a, I, we didn't realize that that was something that could happen. And so the issue is this, do they have to become Jews and work through all the Jewish traditions? And even in chapter 15, it says one of the followers of Jesus who used to be a Pharisee says, of course they have to continue to follow all the religious traditions. And Paul and the rest, and, and, and Peter and the rest of the elders stood up and said, no, they don't. They have to do what's good. They have to follow Jesus. But in the Crete church, the leaders, they were, they were still teaching that we, they were still teaching Jewish law. And you can see... Um, you can see Paul's emphasis is away from the Hebrew law and acceptance of God's grace. Paul's going, no, Peter, I mean, um, Titus, make sure you teach them that they're not justified by how well they keep the rules. Make sure that you're teaching them. Double down on this. It is about grace. It's the same thing that Paul over and over, the whole book of um, Galatians is written towards this issue in the early church. Paul, in the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, says this, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared us in advance to do. Caitlin's, remember Caitlin's encouragement to us? It's Jesus and, right? And this is what was happening in the church in Crete, and it still happens to us today. Not only does our culture kind of overwhelm us and point us in a different direction, but our, even our faith traditions, we can add things to them. It's always tempting 
to make faith in our own image. And this is where God calls us to say, what are those things? If you were to give yourself a grade right now of where you stand with God, what would it be? Now, don't answer out loud. Uh, write it down, but turn it in. No, I'm just um, uh, but what would it be? And my encouragement to you is this. Those things that you would mark yourself down on, you should be doing more of this. You know, I'm not very much this way. You start to disqualify yourself. Many of those are these church traditions. You need to be this person. This is not, this is not what Jesus modeled for us. This is not what Jesus said to the woman at the well. It's not what he said to the thief at the cross. It's not what he said to the sons of thunder, (laughs) to any of the disciples. He simply looked at them and said, follow me. He never disqualified Mary Magdalene. And for us, in the frailty of who we are, do not add more. Jesus said, my what? My, my burden, my yoke is light. He was criticized for it. His, his disciples were criticized. Isn't that great news? Jesus loves you just the way you are. And what he longs to desire from you is not like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. He longs for us to say, I can't eat from the free. I'm sorry. He longs to have that connection with us. We no longer have to play hide and seek. In the last part, as, as Titus was to correct them always on their theology, it's not by your works that you're going to be justified, the keeping of the, of the Jewish law. The last one is the church in Crete was operating under the influence of corrupt leadership rather than godly elders. Paul sort of bookending things. He starts with talking about you need godly elders. And then at the end, we kind of see what some of the issue is here. Titus 3, 9 and 11. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with them. You, you, may be, you may be sure that such a person is warped and sinful, and they are self-condemned. This is how Paul is ending the letter. But understand that there were leaders that were leading the people away, and Paul says, enough of it. Go after them a few times, and if they won't turn, right? They won't turn. We literally can't have them anywhere near the church conversation because they're just bringing confusion and, and, and legitimately heresy. They're teaching something that's not from God. And Paul goes, you can't. So he, he's, he, again, he's deputizing Titus. And so Paul's strategy is this. And, it's, and it's, I hear this. It is probably one of the key things for each of us individually. He's like, we... He is telling Titus through the whole book, you need to install godly leadership. You have a culture of chaos, one that is confusing, discouraging, and having leaders that say, oh, actually, if we just go deeper into the Jewish law, things will be better. 
There's a temptation at times. Let me just a little commercial here. There's a temptation to say, we're not going to be part of this culture, this American culture. Boo, it's terrible. It's, yeah, it's McDonald's. It's, yeah, you know. Instead, we're, we're going to create our own Christian culture, our own religious culture. That'll make us feel like we're really called out and doing things. And we've seen this. And it's not, it's not actually, you know, it's not like Christians have this. I mean, you've seen this like with, I lived one time in the Midwest by an Amish community, right? We'll just separate ourselves out and play by our own rules. And that will make us feel called out from the culture. Be in the world, but not of the world is what Jesus called us to be. Other, other groups do it. Other traditions do it. We see this. It's not uncommon. And God calls us to the heavy lifting of engaging with culture like Jesus did. He just didn't stay in his comfort zone. So if, you're, so if, you, ever, if you feel overwhelmed, discouraged, pessimistic about this culture we live in, coming out of the pandemic, I felt like, you know, you're just... You're not engaging people or, you know, it's just coming at us now in social media. It comes at us harder, faster, bigger. And there's something wonderful about the simple advice. And here's the, and it's really the simple question. How are you investing in godly leadership? Who are the godly people that you are following in your life? Because in each one of the circumstances that Paul talks on, from religious traditions to culture, the answer is simple. Who are the godly people that are leading you? If you felt like your faith is plateaued, um, who are the godly people that you're listening to? And there's a difference. It's wonderful that we can now get content anywhere. You know, from podcast to YouTube, there's amazing... Like, if you wanted good Christian content, there's amazing pastors that you can listen to that are really encouraging. And that is, that's good. It's very different than being known by someone. Letting someone into your life, modeling, being the person that models that. Who disciples you? Who are you discipling? This is, where, this is where our faith comes to life. If not, and we just sit by passively, everything else we're talking about happens very, very, uh, very, very easily. Those dominoes um, fall very easily. Don't let that be a low priority. As we close our time, I, I, I want to encourage you as we look at the book of Titus. Um, the Father uh, loves us, and he knows, that, um, he knows that living out our faith in a culture that is oftentimes um, kind of pushing us directly away from him right, is, is a challenge. When you feel discouraged, when you feel apathetic, when you feel far away from God, Paul's words to Titus are simple. 
over the whole book. How are you investing in godly leadership? Who's modeling that for you? And Paul's direct, live godly. Even though you don't feel it, do it, and you'll watch the Father show up. Um, and I understand the difficulty sometimes it is to engage with somebody uh, and, and walk up to them and say, hey, I'd like to be closer to you. But um, I think it's the great challenge of individually our faith, and I want you to think back to a time in your life that maybe God was speaking loudest to you. Who was involved in your life? And when I think back, I go, oh, I was, was being mentored by this person. I was meeting with these people. I had a group of people. You have to fight hard to do that. And if you do, God says, those who seek me, find me when they seek me with all of their heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book. Thanks for a, a church, a young church that was struggling in the words of advice that still ring true today. Father, thanks for your patience with us. And we ask for just our small congregation here at CLC that uh, you would... Uh, you would bring up great uh, and um, wonderful leaders for us to follow, that you would connect us together so that we would have hope and that we would, um, uh, we would give to you every part of our lives. Father, we need your, um, your insight into the things in our culture that have captured us unbeknownst at times to our very souls. So thank you, Jesus. And we pray this in the Son, in your, uh, in your precious name. Amen.